0: I'm Robbie, the site manager. Everyone here knows me, but when they ask me, how was your weekend, they're surprised when I say, I'm getting paid! Loading a helicopter on board a transport plane is an RAF reserve. I'm in charge of making sure it's loaded correctly. If it isn't, the plane can't fly. Knowing the pilot needs my OK before takeoff that's a special feeling. Make your spare time count with over 40 roles. Commit only 27 days a year. Search RAF Reserves. It's the fighting. in
1: It's the fighting. in. It's the fighting.
0: in. It's the fighting.
2: Clock! Oh that was really interesting, mate, yeah.
1: Welcome listeners to another episode of the Fighting Cock The Extra Inch. And my name's Wendy. Today I'm joined by my psychic and best friend Bardy. Hello Wendy. And our tactics guy, Nathan Clark. All right, mate, how's it going? Don't know why I dropped your surname in there. Just seemed to roll off the tongue somehow. I think it's because of your new Twitter. It's Twitter. Brand power. Brand power, exactly. You're you're Darren Browning me. Um, I mean, we were going to do a podcast about journalism and we still plan to um, this month, but that kind of got put back because various schedules couldn't be matched up. So we're going to fill the gaps with a mid-season review today. So where we normally would do a kind of thematic evergreen podcast i think today is going to be a bit more of a a look back at what's happened so far and probably referring to some recent games because they're fresh in our memories so for those who are listening in the future today's the 19th of december we're not far before christmas and we've just played man city and lost four one pretty pretty uh pretty heavily and unpleasantly and uh so, so it might be slightly downbeat and there are a few questions about that game not least the first one we've got but I mean we'll talk about the season so far quite broadly so guys what's what's gone well so far? Let's try and start on an upbeat note
2: Well I think of course the the best thing that to come out of this season was our Champions League campaign where last year we laboured and we almost looked like we weren't focused on it. This year we went into it with a proper desire right from the very first game and we set our stall out and we beat Dortmund in our first match when the Wembley Curse thing was still a, was still something on our minds, and we put them to bed quite convincingly. And then from there, throughout the whole qualifying, I mean, we got more points than any other team in the quali- in the group stages. So that was well, that's a big tick. That's a big success.
1: What's been the difference this year with the Champions League campaign? Well, we were so poor last year, um, and there were. Rotation issues, but what's been the main difference this year for you?
2: I think we've been a little bit lucky that Real Madrid aren't quite what they were last season, and Dortmund, even though they had a promising start to the season, ended up being a little bit shaky. And what I think what helped us a lot as well is um, Dortmund dropping points early to Applewell, which all of a sudden made a opened up a gap for us. And other than that, we've been pretty good on the counter attack, which has helped us.
3: Yeah, that's the main thing for me is that we've develop this sort of medium block and counter-attack game, um, which we've been able to use when we come up against teams who want to attack, like Real Madrid, like Dortmund, and also uh, Liverpool in the league, where we've been able to um, make them play the football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think that the way we adapted to Champions League football, either through pre-planning or just in in the game itself... And I'm, not, I'm still not convinced either way on, okay. on that. Um, I think it's been a joy to behold compared to last year. Um, I noticed, I was sort of looking at some fairly rudimentary stats, but our possession in the league compared to the Champions League, it's down 10% in the Champions League, basically. 58.7% possession we're averaging in the Premier League games this year so far. 473 in the Champions League. That's a fairly notable difference and shows that we're not so bothered about having the ball or perhaps just the fact that the teams we've been up against are very much possession based as well.
2: I think it kind of helps us that we haven't been that good with the ball. We've struggled to break down teams so I think it kind of played into our hands not having to dictate the play and try and find openings and working on the counter has helped us and I think um, Sun's form this year, especially in the Champions League, has been great. He's been a proper attacking threat where Whereas players like Ali and stuff haven't quite matched their levels from last season.
1: Do you feel like we've been a bit more clinical in those matches as well? And I'm, I'm wondering whether uh, perhaps there's something to be said for the team appearing more focused in Champions League matches. They know they're not going to get so many chances. So when they do come along, they make the most of them. We've seen Son and Kane score from ridiculous angles in in ways that they probably haven't scored so frequently in, in Premier League matches. and. Is that to do with just taking the chances as they come? Is it to do with slightly more focus, as I say?
3: I think the style of play sort of lends itself to that um, attitude and application um, mentality as well, um, in that you know that this is your chance that you've been defending as a unit, and and with that there's um, a camaraderie, and then when you get your chance, when you're on your break, you know that this is the time you've got to put it away, rather than a possession game when you know you're going to have 20 half chances, and you've got to try and make something of that.
1: So who have been the stars so far this season for for you guys? I mean, it's easy to sort of say Harry Kane straight off the bat because he's, well, he's contributed a ridiculous number of goals in our um, total goals, 12 out of 31, um, which is only below Rooney
2: in in comparison with other clubs' players. Which is strange because I don't think Harry Kane's had that great a season. He's He's been wasteful, he's missed a lot of chances this season. And um, maybe this is more to do with the fact that the team isn't performing as well. He seems to be coming too deep for me to get the ball and almost trying to play, uh, start playmaking, which I, I don't think suits him. Um, there was an argument before that he was more of a number 10 than a 9, whereas for me, I've always seen Harry Kane as a number 9, as a battering ram, but with a bit of guile about him. So I don't like the fact that he keeps having to come deep and get the ball. Um so I wouldn't say he's been our star performer for me the biggest surprise has been um Sanchez Davison Sanchez has arrived from a league which gets mocked because it's pretty weak and he's just looked he's just looked at home he's just settled in beautifully sometimes you sometimes as a foreigner I mean he's had one year in Holland before that he was playing in Colombia and the guy just doesn't he looks like he's been here all his life
3: he looks close to par with the v- Tongan and other world which is a ridiculously high standard um, I've been so impressed I was my scepticism with him when he was coming in with his passing game um, but at first we sort of worked our way around that by using him in the middle and all he does is pass sideways and since then he's progressed as well in his ability to, to play forward ball so yeah I'm completely blown away by this. Yeah, he,
2: and he, he's not a defender who uses his um, strength and his speed to get out of trouble of course he has that in him but his position is a lot better than, um, than, we, um, than, we, gave him, than we than I gave him credit for when he first joined I can maybe think of two mistakes he's made this year one was the the West Brom goal which even that was a little bit unfortunate and of course the red card against Watford which um now looking back cost has cost us quite a lot yeah i mean that
1: moment in in hindsight it was so needless mm. he didn't need to do it we've been on a downward spiral pretty much since um, and part of that's because he hasn't been there. Because he's so he's so prominent in our team now, and he's so crucial to the way we've been playing this year. In terms of him, his pace and a reading of the game, allowing us to play a bit higher. I think he's an exceptional signing. I think we paid a ridic- ridiculous fee for him, in terms of what we'd previously paid for players, but not ridiculous in terms of his
2: worth or the or the market as it stands now. No, I mean if we sold him today, we. 60 upwards yeah. up for for him easy and um, you can see how Dyer's performed recently in centre back and the difference between Dyer and Davison there's a massive difference between them. Davison is a top class centre back one thing I expected from him that I haven't seen much
1: of is the ability to run forward with the ball i would read a few things saying that he's he's quite good at kind of popping into midfield and, and playmaking almost, not with kind of incisive forward passes, but just finding the right man in space. Like kind of a Tonga movement. Yeah, exactly. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if he can add that to his game in the second half of this season and, mm-hmm. and the seasons to come. I think we've seen
3: his um, technical ability on the ball in terms of his ability to... Um, uh, <laughs> Resist pressure yeah. and and just play a neat game. So I, I don't think it's completely missing from his game. Um, one player I would add to the who, uh, who's playing well list is especially recently his son. I don't necessarily think that he's um, taken a step up this season. I think that it's as much about the context of the team or what the team needs. Um, but he's he's coming in and he's doing his job consistently. I've been very impressed with him.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: I love son. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. I think he's definitely our most underrated player. I think people take his goals and assists for granted but it's not just that, it's his movement off the ball how relentless he is when attacking the fullback um, and it has the effect that eventually the fullback knows that he's, that he's going to get the better of him and it puts them on the back foot and they don't know quite how to defend against him in a similar way to Wilfred Zaha's done with Palace, if you scare a, torment a defender that much throughout the game you eventually get your way over them and, and he's done that a number of
2: times already If I have one complaint to make about Son, it's that he's not um Ruthless enough in his personality, he seems to be the easy substitution and the easy player to drop, which I don't like. That if there's a problem with the team, he's the first one to get yanked. Whereas someone like Ericsson Ali will be given that 10 15 minutes longer than Sun. And also, when everybody's fit, despite how good Sun's playing, he's the one that sits on the bench. We don't see Deli Ali ever on the bench.
3: And I think that's basically why he's underrated, is because at the end of the day, he isn't first 11 if everyone's fit. Um, but you can still rate him because he's he's a brilliant 12th player um, and one of the best in the league for that
1: regard. He's one of those kind of players that you want to ride their form when they're in it, just mm-hmm. use them. Yep. Use them until they're knackered and then bench them because um, he goes on sort of
2: streaks, doesn't he, with his goals. Um, yeah. yeah, really impressed with Son this year. Definitely one of the players who benefited from Lamella being out for a year. He was the one who really stepped up and filled that gap. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's nice to have Lamella back. I'm sure we'll come into that at some point. Any other players you want to kind of mention that you think have have stood out? I mean, I feel like if we were recording this six weeks ago, then Harry Winks would have got a mention, but he's had a few iffy performances. I know Bardi's not his greatest fan at the moment.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, we've got questions on Harry Winks later and I'll express my feelings on him. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. So what's not gone so well this year?
1: I mean, I would start off with the League Cup exit, which is... A damp squib, say the least.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially being two 0 up. But um, if you've got, if your manager's saying it's not important, then that kind of does slip into the players' mentality. And football players are—they are kids. Give them an opportunity to not perform or not need to perform, and they invariably don't perform. Do you? What do you think of this kind of theory that Spurs need to win a trophy? Um, I mean, you always need to, each team needs to be able to pin their success on something. You, I mean, it's very rare you'll get a team like maybe Brazil 82, that the greatest team in the world, but they didn't win anything. They have to be exceptional team for them to be able to still stand out without having won something. Unfortunately, I think Pochettino for his legacy, he does need a trophy eventually because you can't keep saying about progression, second, third places. There has to be some kind of tangible product at the end of it, unfortunately.
3: I would say, look at Arsenal and how for 10 years they didn't win a trophy. Everyone brought up trophies. Why aren't we winning trophies? And then they won three FA Cups in four years and you know what? They still hate him. They still want him out. <laughs> He's still a disgrace.
2: He's still ruined the club. I, I, I think you can never use Arsenal as a measuring stick about normal football <laughs> That's clubs. true, that's true. Yeah. They're certainly not usual fans, are they? No. Fair points. Um,
1: yeah, I kind of agree, actually, that Arsenal was a good comparison in this sense. I uh, do... I kind of see it from a fan perspective as well of of kind of looking back at the history books and wanting something to be noted down about this team Mm -hmm. because they might otherwise be forgotten. Um, But I'm all for Poch prioritising the league and Champions League at this point because they're the two most important competitions we're in.
2: Yeah, and I do agree with that, but it would be nice to be able to bookmark this team, this kind of generation, because... I think part of the problem we're having at the moment is this, i got a funny feeling this could be an end of, a, end of a little cycle here where we've had three years of progression and all of a sudden we've, we've hit a little bit of sticky form and it would be nice to kind of end this group, end this kind of period with a trophy at the end of it. So what's brought that form about? What do you feel has gone wrong compared to last year? Um, we basically, I think we've basically had the same attacking forward now for a while. Teams have worked out how to stop us we've regressed in certain areas in the fullbacks. we've through injuries and through selling players we've weakened our midfields has dropped off in performance levels um Dembele is not the player that he was and when we've got no Wanyama, we've had no lamella and unfortunately we keep having to flog Kane Ericsson and Ali they have to keep producing and they're not and that's where our problems lay
3: yeah I would say predominantly injuries I think that we, we've had a huge injury crisis this season and it's been sort of undiscussed, unseen, because mm. we do have now some moderate depth to the squad. Um, but still, when you're missing your best players and you're missing the ability to play a back three, you're missing how you build the ball out the back, um, it completely changes the way you play. Um, and that in combination with moving to Wembley, where it's harder to play a possession game because of the size of the pitch, because of the softness of the turf, uh, that's a. Uh, it's been a horrible combination, basically, and we do start season slow, so maybe we'll we'll come into something now. I'm I'm a little optimistic, or more so than most Spurs fans at the moment, it seems.
1: So talking about the idea that we've flogged these front four and they're they're now struggling for form and fitness, we have a question from Serbia on Twitter who says, "Does Eriksson deserve a place in our starting eleven as he seems to have rediscovered his disappearing act?"
2: I mean, if you don't play Eriksson, who are you going to play? That's the fundamental problem. I wrote a blog recently about, the, I called it the Poch cartel where um, he's kind of built this group of players now, this is his team and he's got nowhere else to go. He's got only those players who are totally loyal to him whereas everyone else has been pushed aside, Bentelebs other players like that, other options he doesn't want at the club because one they're a distraction but now unfortunately he's got nowhere else to turn so Eriksson has to play because we don't have anyone else.
3: Ericsson's great I I think he's an incredible player and I think that the fact that we are criticising Ericsson and we're criticising Delhi at the same time and even saying Harry Kane's a bit off is no coincidence I do think it is that we aren't building the way we like to because of injuries because of Wembley and various things and I am happy to give him a pass because I know that the quality is there I'm not worried about his his performances or his mentality
2: Yeah I would like it noted that I'm not calling out Ericsson I'm not saying (laughs) Ericsson is a bad player Ericsson remains a great player but um, we've seen throughout his career at Spurs he does have moments and he does have periods where he does drop off I don't feel we've given him
1: adequate rest this season I think he's he's played too many minutes particularly that run where he ended up playing those two very very intense games for Denmark mm-hmm. as yeah. well it was a really tough period his performances for Spurs dropped considerably throughout that and had Lamella been back say a month sooner he may have got a couple of rests and we may have got the best out of him and then as a result the best out of the team because when Eriksen's not playing well we struggle to play well likewise Dembele I think we've really suffered with Dembele's um, what should we say old age yeah, yeah. hips and yeah. knees I mean he looks a shadow of his former self
2: to the point where I don't think Dembele should be starting too many games these days I, there is something as well which um, people aren't thinking about is the World Cup is looming And for a player like Ericsson, this might be his one and only opportunity to play at a World Cup. And I think historically, if you look back, there's always certain individuals that will kind of drop off a little bit and not give 100% in order to be fresh for their country. If his country is going to have any hope in getting through the group stages, it's going to be on him. So I think for him, probably our league campaign might come second to what he's thinking about this summer. That's a fair point.
1: And I
3: don't hold it against him. I think it's very easy to get upset at a player who's holding out for his national team, but um, you'd probably do the same if you were them.
2: Yeah, apart from from Harry Kane, he'll kill himself for national team and club team. Yeah.
1: And we have a question from um, Greg Jenner on Twitter who says, Larisse's kicking and distribution, the City game highlighted this area. What's the advantage of playing it out of the back against a furiously intense opposition press? And I guess this ties into what we were saying earlier with the... Yeah, the City game being so fresh in our memories and and feeling a bit downbeat at the moment after that match. I mean, obviously, we saw a direct comparison with the two goalkeepers, one who's a master of distribution and one who's simply not. So so, what do you think, Nath? <laughs>
3: the, the advantage of, of playing out through the pressure is that it leaves a load of space behind and then you can essentially counter-attack into that space um, without ever having lost the ball. And that's a great thing to do if you can do it. Um, it becomes a question of when is the right time to do it. And I can understand why people would say the City game, for example, or this game or that game was not the occasion to do it.
1: Buddy, do you have a heart attack every time the ball goes to Lloris
2: no I I don't because he very rarely makes a mistake but it it very rarely leads to anything either other than like an opposition throw in Um, it would be nice if we could have a goalkeeper that could pass out but you know Lloris is a a top quality goalkeeper but he's not he's not really the goalkeeper we need but I'd you know, I I, I, I give, I give Larissa a pass as well to be honest with you yeah I totally agree you have, you have
3: to give Larissa a pass because of his general quality when mm. he first came in under AVB he very much seemed like the keeper from the future with his mm. sweeping and the way he came out yeah. and it seems like incredibly quickly the modern game has not only caught up with him yeah. but then put him in a situation where his passing seems a little outdated and, and that speaks less to Larissa than it does to um, the development of football
2: yeah I have to agree 100% with that when, when he arrived he was like a phenomenon because he would come out and clear the ball now you've got goalkeepers coming out and not clearing the ball but passing the ball and that's where the game has moved on and Loris hasn't
1: do you think we take him for granted a little because we've got so used to that sweeping I think
2: he, he covers so much space behind our back three or four um, I th- I think there's been a little bit of a drop off in performance from him there there was a a crazy stat in the Champions League where he like, I think the last ten shots on target were all goals that he conceded I think he's starting to make errors now, even in his sweeping. I think I think it was against um, West Brom, maybe, where he came rushing out and he got beaten to the ball. No, was that? I think so. Anyway, I think it was Lloris. So there are moments where he's looked a little bit fallible, but he's still he's still a good goalkeeper.
1: What do we make of the nutmeg for City's fourth goal? Just straight through, happens. It yeah, yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to give him a pass. On Best that goalkeepers well. in the world getting nutmegged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Lloris is great. Generally, I don't think we we'd get a better goalkeeper if we tried so yeah it's one of those things It's it would be nice to have a, a goalkeeper that could play those long passes with accuracy but as long as like you say he keeps it relatively safe he doesn't make too many mistakes and when there are a mistake it's a throw-in rather than anything more serious then yeah. that's fine
2: of course if we had a goalkeeper who could pass that would be that would be what we want really so I think that was where we would lead to and um, maybe we maybe, do have
3: a goalkeeper who can pass in Michelle Vaughan but he can't, you can't stop the ball yeah that's, like <laughs> that's
2: the problem <laughs> So the areas for
1: improvement as we as we go through the season. What we've got a question from um, Walker 0104 on Twitter. What's going on with our fullbacks this year? This time last season we had four that you could rely on in all situations. Now Davies is the only safe pair of hands. Rose is not fit, Trippier is inconsistent and Aurier has not settled. What do you think about the fullbacks? I feel like we've regressed at fullback, but there's a lot of room for improvement and I expect to see that throughout the season.
2: I mean, um, Kieran Trippier. I, I wouldn't say he's inconsistent. Kieran Trippier is Kieran Trippier. That is, I think he's kind of reached his level. He's not the he's not the fullback we need. I almost said, like said the um, the Superman quote or what, whatever it is. He's not the fullback we need, but he's the fullback we got. It was that Batman. Batman. <laughs> Deserved, but there you. Go. <laughs> but um, you know, he he lacks. He lacks he likes everything that we need in a fullback unfortunately and where he does okay against uh, the weaker teams is fine but we cannot continue to be we cannot claim to be like a challenging team with Kieran Trippi at right back that has to change
3: I think the uh, Aurea situation proves um, a bit of a warning for the Rose situation is that it's easy right now to say, well, Rose has done this, Uh, he's a bit of a dick, he's out of form, let's get rid of him and bring Sessignon in. Well, that is sort of the mentality we've had with Walker and Aurea and we've seen the prices that Aurea... We're halfway through the season and he hasn't settled and although he has the ability to replicate Walker's performances, we've yet to see that and it's had a significant effect on our performance as a team.
1: It's kind of frustrating for me as a as a youth watcher because we've got a fullback there, Walker Peters, who's so well set to be a, a Pochettino fullback, and he's barely had a look in. He was man of the match in his debut. Admittedly, I didn't think he was the best player in our team, but he got, he was awarded the man of man of the match award. Um, it's yeah, it's a bit of a sicker to see him kind of waiting in the wings whilst we struggle
2: on with uh, Trippier and the underperforming Aurier. Yeah, I mean fullbacks don't—they don't need to be the greatest defenders in the world at the moment, but they have to be physically capable of getting up and down. And Trippier is in that halfway house where he's not the greatest defender and he's not the greatest attacker. And plenty of times you see him—he seems to be constantly chasing forward or running backwards. He's never—he's never where he should be. But while I was um, thinking about fullbacks and just reading a little bit on on Google, I. I found this really interesting anecdote and um, Roy Hodgson that great luminary of of football and that great progressive thinker in 96 when he was the manager of of Inter Milan he actually sold Roberto Carlos because he didn't know where to play him so he spent like half a season playing Roberto Carlos at left wing centre midfield and he just didn't trust him as a left-back and sold him to Real Madrid. And then, you know, the rest is history. He went on to win three Champions Leagues, a World Cup and everything.
1: That's amazing. So <laughs> I guess in a way it's similar to the situation we had with um, Christian Ziga. We yep. didn't we didn't quite know where to play him. He was a wing-back, but we weren't always playing a back three. Yep. And so do you play him at left-back and accept that his
2: defending's not great or do you play him in midfield? Which is why we should actually sell Danny Rose and buy Gareth Bale and put Gareth Bale back at left-back. <laughs> And let's like, complete the circle and put in there. And I think no, he'd, why not? he'd be an amazing left back. I mean, do you remember to see the Arsenal game where we had Danny Rose as left wing and Baylor left back? You know, we would be Arsenal, and that was a good Arsenal team. Crazy. I mean, it's weird to think that that was
1: uh, actually. You know, Rose wasn't playing left wing that game. He started. He played at right wing. Rose? Yeah, really? yeah. He made his debut at right wing. I think. Okay. Um, going back to Aurier briefly, I actually really like him. I think there's a lot, a lot of potential there. I like the way, it sounds It sounds odd, but I like the way his body position is. I think it allows him to beat his man um, fairly consistently. I think he clearly is lacking rhythm. He hasn't had too many games in a row. So he kind of, every time he comes in, it's like he's starting from scratch again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems to be pretty good in the final third certainly his decision making in the final third compared to Trippier's is better I think Trippier will generally just try and whip a cross in as early as possible because that's that's his game he's a great crosser but it's a low percentage chance creation thing Aurier
2: will try and pick a pass he'll try and beat his man and hit the byline and, and cut one back and I think that's a much better way to score a goal and under pressure, when, when he's pressed, he's quite comfortable cutting inside on his left foot to get out of trouble as well, instead of just booting it out. I There's a lot to like about him. Yes, he's a bit naive and he may be lunging to a tackle. I mean, people point to the West Ham game where he got sent off as like, oh, he's a bit, but you know, players do get sent off. Um, I think he needs to be playing. The only way he's going to find form and um, find his rhythm is by playing regularly. And I think that should start immediately. He got quite a lot of criticism against Brighton because he got rolled a
1: couple of times by Solly March when he came on. I didn't have too much of a problem with him trying to win the ball high up because I thought that was kind of in keeping with what yep. Spurs mm-hmm. do. And against Brighton, you can take those chances yep. because generally they're not going to put them away. And I think actually that's probably what Poch wants to see more of, full-backs who are willing to take a chance and not dive in you know, and commit yourself fully but to, to to try and win the ball on the halfway line or, or beyond and that can actually be quite a progressive thing.
3: Mhm. I don't think that we can doubt his um ability or at least his potential. Um only the performances he's given us so far and and with that comes the question how would he be playing if he didn't built, if he didn't if he had been brought uh, earlier and had a full pre-season with the team. <coughs>
1: so-
3: Sorry Nate. so and we say we save some money by waiting until the end of the window to purchase him, but how much do we essentially lose in return by mm-hmm. having a player who's taken now you know four or five months to sell in?
1: Yeah. So exactly. So so along those lines, do we need to spend some money on fullbacks in in January? We've got a question from um, Spurs fandom who said, "What is our best fallback combination and what are the rel- relative advantages of each pairing?" But I guess we don't even know who our fullbacks are going to be come the end of January because for all we know, Rose might go. Maybe we'll get the offer that that will take Rose away. He certainly doesn't seem as committed as he once did.
2: I uh, I would play Rose and Oriya every game until. Um... It doesn't work. I mean, Rose, even against Man City, I thought for the faults, I thought I quite liked the way he played. I quite liked the way he tried to get forward. He got back, put some blocks in. Far more dynamic than Davies has been against Arsenal. I thought Davies was weak. He didn't offer us anything. I would play Rose and Aurier until they find a rhythm. I mean, the alternatives are Davies, who's, who's fine, or Trippier, who's terrible. So I would play those two.
3: Yeah, I mean, essentially, we're looking at um, overall quality versus form, where the two lesser fullbacks are the two fullbacks who are performing better at the moment. So it's hard to give um, a definitive answer.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Would you be looking to sign a future Rose
2: replacement, i.e., someone like Cessin Yarn or I don't know Ben Chilwell? He's playing well for Leicester. I don't know. I've I look at Ben Chilwell. I've seen him shank the ball out (laughs) quite often. I'm not too I'm not too sure on him. And Cessin Yarn, I haven't seen enough.
3: So I'm really, really big on Session Young. He's an incredibly talented player and um, I think if you want him to play left back or left wing back, you need to buy him sooner rather than later because he's getting a lot of games at left wing and it would be like trying to play Gareth Bale at left wing back again. So the time is now for Session mm. Young, really.
1: That's the thing, with a player that talented in the Championship, they will get played higher up the pitch because they can do damage, whereas in yeah. the Premier League he could drop back and, and be fine. But like you say, the defensive side of his game might be trained out of him before too long, so we need to get in there and and, and make him ours. But in terms of other January business, we have various questions. Chopping Guy on Twitter says, how much do we actually need transfers in against players actually coming back from injury to be the
2: difference makers? I mean, we need, um, I don't know whether it can be this January or whether we have to wait for the summer, but we need an alternative to Dembele. Unfortunately, I I think he's, he's fading quickly and we need somebody in there. Harry Winks is unable to cope without someone like Dembele alongside him, so we need... that This summer, we have to address the Dembele replacement. That's the biggest question mark in our team.
3: Uh, I would be a little less harsh on Harry Winks, but I do think that that is the area to focus on. I think it's very hard, um, having come this far in the season, and say, well, actually, our squad is fine when we've had deficiencies in these areas and Mm -hmm. these players are tired, but... The fact that Lamella has come back, the fact that when Yom's going to come back, Alderweireau's going to come back, I do think we have a decent squad. I think we've been crying out for a winger for ages and suddenly Sun has proven himself in that in that role. We've been crying out for depth for Eriksen for ages and suddenly Lamella's fulfilling that role. So the, I think the squad is a lot better than it looks at the moment. And yeah, that... That Dembele role is sort of really the key, um, and that is probably why Pochino seems to have an interest in Barkley, who can maybe perform that role and also maybe play as a ten as well. So he likes that sort of um, positional versatility in his players.
1: Particularly if he's playing a three-five-two, which we've kind of played a fair amount this year. I don't love it. I think partly he's done it to accommodate to Soko because he doesn't seem to trust Sissoko in a two-man midfield but also doesn't want him to play f- fully as part of the th- three in the 3-4-3. Three, three. So we've kind of got this middle ground where we've had Winks or Dembele as the pivot and then Eriksen and Sissoko or Ali and Sissoko either side of the, the pivot. I'm not convinced it's the way forward for Spurs. I don't think it's getting the best out of many of our players. What have you guys made of that slight, subtle change?
3: Uh, the three-five-two uh, we've seen works really well when we're playing uh, on the counter attack, as we did against um, Liverpool and against European sides. Um, but I think when we dominate the ball, we're better off in a three-four-three, and I think that we will return to that when we've got the likes of Wayne and and Alvaro back on the team. Mm.
1: So it's papering over the injuries, you think?
3: Yeah, basically. And if you want to use Sissoko for his ability to play a lot of minutes, to cover a lot of ground, to be positionally versatile, then you, you accommodate to him by playing a three-man midfield. So that makes sense in those particular cases. Um, but I still think 3-4-3 will be our formation going forward.
1: We haven't mentioned Sissoko yet. What have you made of him so far this year?
3: <laughs> he... Um,
1: it feels like kicking a puppy.
3: It does a bit. He... It... It... Uh... He's, he's good on the counter-attack and he can absorb a lot of minutes and he works really hard now um, but he's still a technically very limited player and as we saw um, against Arsenal for example he really struggled in that situation he, uh, controlling the ball under pressure and trying to be creative it just is, doesn't suit him at all so he he has a role in the squad as to be this player who can run with the ball, to be this player who can absorb minutes um, but we paid £30 million for him and he's on huge wages to fulfil what it, a role that could maybe be played by a youth player?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, um, he's he's a blunt instrument. He's like a, not even a very useful blunt instrument. He's a, like a wooden mallet, which is only really good for putting like tent pegs in. But he gets around the pitch, he causes, he presses, he counter-attacks in the way, you know, he gets the ball and runs straight. But um, he's a useful player. But the moment he starts against a team like Arsenal, I... I get nervous and it's kind of been proven that he's not great I think it's just
1: shown up how much we've missed Wanyama as well For we, sure, I mean that guy was so criminally underrated at times last year I think he held the midfield together and I think his absence has been felt hugely I think he can do a lot in midfield that Dembele does and that's why I'm not so convinced that we've got to address the Dembele problem I think Wanyama's got potential to do a lot of that for us and I think with Wanyama alongside him, Harry Winks will become twice the player yeah. because Winks is not a natural defensive midfielder. That's never been his game. He's he's fitting in there. He's doing he's doing his best for the team. He reads the game really nicely, but he's not combative enough to to do that role. Um, he's not wise enough positionally to do that role. Um, he's more of a kind of link man. He uses the ball brilliantly. He can run with the ball. Um, And I think he needs to be alongside a more naturally defensive player.
2: Yeah, I think we're all a little bit um, kind of like. We didn't realise how big a loss Wanyama was going to be. I think he played against Chelsea, didn't play great, got injured, and we kind of like brushed it off. Oh, we'll be okay. And it's been proven that we haven't been okay without him.
3: I think it's the combination of losing Wanyama and also Dyer having to go back Mm. into defence that uh, has caused so many problems because we essentially don't have a number six now uh, Mm. starting.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean,. Dyer's performances in midfield were looking pretty good at the start of the year. When he dropped back, less so. I mean, he's been okay at times in in centre back. I think he's been very good in some games at centre back, but he's also had a few really ropey performances where none of his strengths have been accentuated and all of his weaknesses have been clearly
0: highlighted. Yeah, his. I'm Robbie, the site manager. Everyone here knows me, but when they ask me, How was your weekend? they're surprised when I say, I'm getting paid. Loading a helicopter on board a transport plane as an RAF reserve. I'm in charge of making sure it's loaded correctly. If it isn't, the plane can't fly. Knowing the pilot needs my OK before takeoff. That's a special feeling. Make your spare time count with over 40 roles. Commit only 27 days a year. Search RAF Reserves. <laughs>
2: Um, his attempted back-hill against Man City on the edge of his area was ridiculous, and the missed interception towards the end was bad. And it just shows. Um, I don't think he seems to be right mentally. He hasn't had a great season. He's been pushed around where he's going to play here. He hasn't really had a settled, settled role. And plus, there was the links with Man United. I think he needs to. Um, I think he needs to maybe not play. But it's unfortunately he has to play at the moment. He's got no other option. He's basically becoming our Phil Jones,
1: just the the guy that fills in and does a job.
2: Yeah, I think he's suffering from from being so versatile at the moment that he's now, I don't know how, I don't know how old he is, 23, 24 now? Yeah, 20,
1: I think he's 24.
2: So he's getting to the stage now where he should be nailed on and we're still arguing whether or not he's a better midfielder or defender.
1: So any other transfers, Any anyone else you kind of have your eye on or, or do you think we should be selling many players?
2: Oh, I, don't, I Selling? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's really anyone... No, we shouldn't sell anybody, but um, it's the same old thing. We need um, a proper alternative to Kane. We need um, someone else, an uh, attacking option, whether it be Zaha or somebody else like that. And we do need to address the fact that we're probably going to lose um, Danny Rose.
3: Yeah, that's how I agree
2: with that, mm-hmm. basically. So on following on from the January transfer window...
1: Let's say we we have a reasonable window, we sign a couple of players, what would be your aims for the rest of the season? I'm I'm thinking already I'm liking the look of the FA Cup, (laughs) the the draw (laughs) against AFC Wimbledon, and not only that, but Premier League clubs being drawn against each other. Mm -hmm. So a bit of a route being potentially paved out. Um, I mean, it would be lovely. I'd love to have a good FA Cup run. But we're also in the Champions League, we've qualified in the Champions League, which is incredibly exciting.
2: Yeah, but the Champions League is two more matches, you know, uh, worst case scenario of two games. We'll know after we've played Juventus away where we are, I mean, we should obviously go all out for that. But if we get smashed 4-0, then it's kind of like, OK, now we've fo- refocused back on the league. We, the Champions League, we're in a position where we can take it two games at a time. And especially the early stages of knockout rounds, there's so many weeks between them because they like to get as many on TV as possible. That we can rotate and we'll be okay.
3: Yeah, I I, I agree with Pochettino's prioritisation of Champions League first, then the Premier League, and then the FA Cup. Um, I am fairly optimistic that we can finish in the top four again. I don't think it's going to be that hard a push. I I know obviously we're outside of it right this moment, but I, I think that will come around for us.
1: And how about kind of we haven't really spoken about on the pitch improvements we want to see? Um, we spoke a bit about the fullbacks, but one one kind of fairly obvious. Um, area which we can quite easily improve and we've spoken about before is set pieces. And Mark Lynch, one on Twitter, said, What is going on with our set pieces? Attacking and defending both seem areas we can improve upon.
2: Um, I read two articles on that, on this today. One was uh, by Greg Bukowski on The Guardian earlier this year, where he said only 3% of corners are scored, so what's the point in dealing with it? But then I read something by at MixNuts on Twitter, at StatsBomb, and I, uh, Nathan's notes. so I guess he might have read it as well, where he properly kind of looked at set-pieces and the value that comes from it. And he cited um, Alex Ferguson's last two teams at Man United, which were ageing, which hadn't been invested in well, and Ferguson started really focusing on set-pieces and started scoring 10 to 15 extra goals a season. And I don't know if you guys remember, Evra all of a sudden started scoring a shitload of headers. And that's kind of proof that if you focus and if you really practice them, it is like signing an extra striker.
3: Yeah, I, I put together a video because we had uh, 10 corners against Crystal Palace and I looked over all 10 corners against Crystal Palace and essentially there are no plans at play. There's no there's no plotting, there's no organisation. We just whip it in and see what happens. And there's a lot of potential there to put some time in there and, and get some goals out of it.
2: I mean, look at how many goals Man City are scoring from set pieces. And the season Liverpool nearly won the league. They would often break the break the deadlock with a set piece, and then the moment they're in the lead, their counter attacking style came out, and it and it suited them. And City as well, two set piece goals against United, one against us, which kind of changed the whole dynamic of the match. And um, I think we need to start focusing on this properly because there's there's you know stats are proving that there are ways to, this is a, way, a genuine way to win a game.
3: Yeah and and while we are at the moment better in transition than we are playing possession football that first goal is so huge mm-hmm. if you can get that goal like City did with a set piece you change the game completely
2: and the uh, Stoke match for example changed we scored early and that just proves that against these kind of weaker teams if you if we get early get the early goal they have to change their system and then we we will destroy we will destroy most teams on the counter do you
1: get as annoyed as I do with Kane attempting knuckleball free kicks, I don't know why he's still attempting to strike them with that that particular technique. I just think someone just needs to step up and curl one towards the corner because that seems a mu I know it makes it easy to save, but it just seems so much easier to score in that way than these knuckleball efforts that either fly miles over or hit the wall.
2: Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I can't. The Pjanic at uh, Juventus, he he's a curler. He's one of the best free kick takers, and he curls them. There's not really many regular kind of knuckleball free-kick specialists. Ronaldo, he's scored like one, maybe one in 90. It so, seems a bit of a fad to me, and I, I wish we'd just go back to
1: the simple get it up and over the wall into the a, far
3: corner. It's Gareth Bale's fault because he scored about 10 for <laughs> us in the season. It's crazy, isn't it? I think when the ball is really far out and central, um, and there's a huge distance for it to dip, and that makes sense. He's hit the crossbar a couple of times mm. doing that, but I do think the closer one should be curled. Um, and then you point to reaction and say, well, he's been curling them for ages, and he hasn't scored one in years. But the, we know that his ability to put the ball there is is present.
1: Yeah, and there are other options in the team. We've seen Dyer score free kicks. We know that he's capable. I actually think Ben Davies would probably be a reasonable free kick taker. Um, I think he's very accurate with his sort of um, crossing, certainly, and, and I'd like to think that he's got a, a good striking technique, which can be relied upon. Um, and I think Harry Winks would actually have a, a reasonable shooting technique as well from... from free kick range. Um but the other thing is the number of players in our team that are, in theory, really good at attacking the ball, why aren't we scoring a couple more goals just from, you know, a simple ball into the box from a corner or a free kick? And someone like Dyer who attacks the ball brilliantly, Aldaverald, another one, Kane, Sanchez, these are all players that should be dominating their potential uh, opposite number.
2: Yeah, Sanchez's lack of goal for it has been quite surprising because I actually look quite lethal in the box, scoring overheads, headers. So um I, I think that comes down to the the quality of the ball going in the box, yeah, and clearly a lack of focus in training on that, which you know would come at the
1: expense of other things, so perhaps we'd lose a bit of organisation, but like you say there's there's so much upside there. Mm
3: when Ericsson takes the corners he zips the ball in flat which is really good if you have uh, clever movement planned and you can get a person into that space first Um, but what we're talking about is is dealing with a lofted ball Mm. with players who are really good in the air Mm. so I think we've got a mismatch there in that we don't organise our corners we've got good aerial targets but we're zipping the ball in and that's why, probably why, it looks a little better when it's a different player taking those corners. Or why Eriksen gets so much grief for it?
2: Yeah, like um, Lamella went for quite a purple patch of taking corners, where yeah. he, yeah, he, he's he actually got quite a good delivery.
1: I long for a training ground routine. I, 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 I do love a goal scored from a training ground routine set piece, um, and I wish we would do something. Imagine the handshakes if we
2: did. Um, we did. Um, Kane scored one last season against Stoke, which was a that was a nice, nice variation yeah. of, of a corner. Yeah, I, th- I, think there's, I think there's maybe been a couple this year which we've properly royally fucked up
1: <laughs> OK, we'll move on to some more questions about various different issues starting off with Bancroft Spurs on Twitter who says Could you discuss the evolution of our pressing during Potch's tenure? Feels to me like we don't do it with the same intensity as the first couple of years Is this to avoid end-of-season burnouts a consequence of the switch to three-five-two, or players not following orders or another reason? I
3: think that it will, um, if you look at last season when when we we had a brilliant run of games all through Christmas and towards the end of the season, um, even then our press looked a little subdued and I think that that was down to um, it being more organised and we could achieve what we wanted to which is to force the opposition to pass the ball to Anyama um, with a lesser effort so it was more efficient. if you combined and increased efficiency with also other reasons for it dropping off such as a change of shape um, a change of motivation change of personnel then it starts to, to look a little soft
1: and I think it's fairly easy to sort of also say actually if Ericsson's not getting the rotation then he can't press with the same intensity yeah. likewise with Kane likewise with Deli. Um, and that's all going to have a slight impact. You, you just need that one player to set the tempo from the start. And if everyone's kind of feeling heavy legged, it's very difficult to have that. We've seen already Lamella come on and tear around with his enthusiasm, and it does lift. It lifts the other players.
2: Yeah, I, I, Wembley hasn't helped us either. I don't. It's um. I don't know whether it's a cliche, but it's energy sapping. Maybe it's not the same kind of surface, and it has affected us there as well. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think part of it is that we've slightly adjusted the way we, we play as well. So, you know, the the idea has always been to force the opposition team to launch these long balls, hopeful long balls forward, and then we'd pick up the pieces. But we're, we're more kind of pressing passing lanes now, I think, rather than individuals. When Poch first arrived, it felt like there was a kind of individual player press where we'd have our front four pressing their men essentially and then a fifth player backing up I think that's kind of changed a little as he's, he's evolved and the 3-5-2 might be partly put in place to suit that, that changing style as well a question from India on Twitter was Winks just a purple patch? Vard you, you have plenty to say on Winks
2: no Winks is a, is a good player and I think, unfortunately for him, he's been denied um, a partner in midfield with Dembele and Wanyama not being there. But my biggest problem with Winks, and this is something that he can overcome in time and through training and through learning about the game if he gets someone alongside him who can teach him. But I just think he lacks the passing the passing ability to play in that role. I think we had Ewan Roberts on early on, um, maybe episode two or something, and he spoke about players passing... And there being a metric for counting when you remove a player, so you pass over a player or through a player, and that becoming a stat. And it's quite often that Winks will not spread the ball quick enough under pressure and take opposition players out of the game. Against Dortmund and against Applewell, he hit cross field passes, but there was no pressure on him, and it was quite easy to hit Aurier. But what he seems reluctant to do or unable to do is um, move it quickly cut a player out of the game and that way almost break the press instead of dribbling like Dembele would but by doing that Michael Cox wrote an article about Winks after our 1-1 draw at um, at the Bernabeu and he was praising Winks and he spoke about his head movement and the way he took the ball and he spun out of a tackle moved away and then hit a crossfield pass and it went awry and Winks has got the potential and he's got the vision of it but he just doesn't have the talent yet to be able to play the passes that we need him to play
3: I don't agree. I think that he, <laughs> uh, I think that he does, he does have that passing ability, and he's demonstrated it. He might have had a little dip in form recently, and that's partly because he's played a lot of minutes. The reason he's played a lot of minutes is because he's become um, a starting member in a Champions League team. So I think that says more to uh, his his pro. Uh, the the statistic is packing, by the way. Packing. The, okay. Yeah, I'm a bit iffy on that one, to be fair. Um, but I, I do think I do think Winks is a very good uh, packer.
2: I'm I'm. You see, I think Winks has become a starting player through lack of alternatives. I like Winks, and from what he, the role he played last season, coming on to close games off, he's very clever. He's very intelligent the way he plays, but I don't think his passing is good enough for for him to command that central role. And he, we we need we would need to upgrade that or see an improvement with him or help him by getting an alternative to him.
1: I tend to think that in Winx's role in the team, there's not such. A need to
2: be spraying diagonals.
1: I think he's more there to link
2: play going. It's Not to so centre. much diagonals. It's about just changing the angle of attack. He plays so centrally that he's con- he's got the he's got the ability and the positional role to change the angle of the attack, and he does it very rarely. He will he quite often will play where he's looking, even though he's got great head movement and that kind of stuff.
1: Do you not feel that it's partly as a result of him playing as the deepest lying midfielder, and he can't take so many
2: risks? Um, there's been plenty of deeper lying midfielders in in the history, who have been excellent passers and been able to start attacks from from deeper roles? That's that's um, part of being a regista. You start games from there. You're able to start attacks and spring counters. And I don't think Winks isn't... I don't think he's springing many counters at all, actually.
1: I think that's part of the problem. I don't don't think he's suited to that role. I think he needs to be alongside the guy who sits there. And Possibly. he'll be the one shuttling forward. And, you know, we've seen him kind of break free of challenges and then get his head up and play a nice, short, incisive mm-hmm. pass. And I think that's his game where he's so technically adept. He's very good at getting the ball under control quickly and getting it out of its feet and, and passing quickly and, and swiftly but you know, generally it will be a short pass often forward, I think he's given a lot of criticism for being a backwards and sideways player partly again because he's playing that deeper lying role and, and he's there to almost link the centre-back's passes in a way, he links, he'll take the ball from one centre-back and give it to the other which, allow, which as you say changes the passing angle mm. um, and I think people then sort of see him as a backwards and sideways player when actually he's doing that for the good of the team.
2: Well fair enough if we get another player to play that role and move him elsewhere mm. but Currently, I don't think he's playing great in that position. Not yeah. to say he's a bad player. Not to say that he doesn't have a, a future or potential at Tottenham. But I think he's he's struggling in that role, definitely. I think we should
1: disagree more. It's, it makes for a much better conversation, doesn't it? Let's let's do this again next time. <laughs> Last question this week from M13Tull on Twitter: Does the panel like Potch's approach to big away games? Are are we agree we? Are, Sorry, for example, we are aggressive in the press and play out from the back. Having the philosophy is great, but if we don't perform in those games, players lose faith very quickly.
2: I mean, I thought the Man City game for about 17 minutes was one of the most interesting games of football i have seen for a while. I loved our approach. I thought we were brave. I thought we really went at them. It would have been very easy to pack the defence and do a Mourinho, try and stifle them. And I loved the way we approached the game. Unfortunately, we fell down because of individual errors, set pieces and the fact that they are an immense football team. Whether or not we should have parked the bus, I don't know. I don't ever want to see Tottenham do that. We are to dare us to do without sounding like Mickey Hazard and banging the drum about Tottenham stuff. i like us to try and beat teams. Um, but sometimes you've got to just stand up and realise the opposition have bigger guns than you.
3: I do feel there's a bit of a recency bias in that question looking at the City game and we're at risk of dating the podcast but um, I I looked in detail in this, in this particular case at the City game and I, I think that there are reasons as to why what he did, although it didn't pay off was the right thing to do and I also think if you look again at the Champions League games those are games where we adapted our game and got results so um, I wouldn't say that we do um, have a bad angle towards big games
1: Yeah, I think the city game. uh, There were reasons why things went wrong. One of them is that City are brilliant. The other one is that we were missing key defensive players and and couldn't play our normal defensive game. But also, we did get into some good positions and play terrible passes or make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Rose and Trippi were both early in the game in really inviting positions and completely messed up their final delivery. If one of those had been a, a really good pass, and we 'd scored a goal. the whole game could have been different because we could we perhaps then might have played on the counter because Poch has showed in this season that he can do that he can sit deep and he can counter um so like you say, I think it, the question's a little unfair, perhaps, and i don 't want him to really have to change his philosophy i think he's he 's doing the right things for the right reasons. I just think we 're a bit unlucky against city in many ways
2: yeah, I think um the bigger way games we look at the. Man United game we got we got Mourinho classic classic Mourinho move um, City game we tried the one that is a bit of a concern is the Arsenal game Yeah. Uh, the way we the way we were so flat and the way we just didn't do anything against them especially against a, a, a very weak Arsenal team that's the only one that worries me
3: yeah I think that's the one that we we tried to play our own game and we should maybe and I don't like to but maybe give an Arsenal just a little bit more respect mm. and force them to have the ball
2: yeah
1: Cool, so we move on to our further reading section in which we tend to recommend articles, books, podcasts, that kind of thing. Have you guys read anything or listened to anything cool
2: this week? Um, when Jack Pit Brook was on, he mentioned Mr. by Rory Smith, which um, I, I bought then, but um, I'd have other books to read, Duncan Alexander's, Simon Cox's. So finally I got round to reading Mr. by Rory Smith. And this is a brilliant, brilliant book. I can't tell you how good it is. It's well written in Rory Smith's style and it's fascinating. It goes, it dates um, the way um, English managers have gone abroad from like the very start of football. How they... Um, the f a sent these English guys out to teach the world how to play football, and then just forgot about them. So they sent guys to Spain to italy you got the the guy who who created barcelona you got the guy who created football in Italy, and then when they came back to England to say, "Look, this is what i 've done. Give me a job." They were completely um, disregarded and left to die penniless out out of their own country and gradually it, it traced all these managers through the history. Obviously, going to one which ties into Tottenham, Vic Buckingham, about his relationship with Arthur Rowe and Tottenham, about obviously his Ajax and Barcelona influences. And it's a beautiful book. I'm um, about 30, 40 pages from the end, and I'm now with Terry Venables at, at Barcelona and Bobby Robson in Portugal. It's a, it's a brilliant book, and I highly recommend it.
3: Yeah, Rory Smith is a great writer, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to date the podcast one last time by recommending uh, the Guardian long read on Manchester City. I think it's called um, "City's uh, Plan for Global Domination," which is on the sort of the City Financial Group, and and it will sort of put things in perspective a little bit recently, and also looking at the league in general.
2: Yeah, I, I read that. I read that after the Tottenham-Man City game, and that was an amazing read.
3: Editor of the Guardian long read is a, a Spurs fan and a, a good bloke.
1: So yeah. Nice. I've been listening to um, Aaron Wolfe's podcast, First Time, Long Time, and I think I've mentioned it before, but I just wanted to mention it again because it's, it's fantastic. And again, he's a Spurs fan, so there's a link there. Um, Aaron's a really, really good guy. He's an amazing storyteller. And some of the some of the podcasts have been about subjects which I have no idea about, and I've found them engaging from the minute they start and just quite emotional a lot of the time. Um he has a real knack, um, not just the way with words, but the way he crafts the story and involves different people and researches. And I would, I'd really highly recommend those, po- that, those series of podcasts. And he's someone that I'd love to get on this podcast at some point if he's ever in the country.
2: I'd also like to highlight Nathan's series of tweets on um, Edison's playing out of the back that he posted today, which are well worth uh, a read-through.
3: Cheers, man. Yeah, episode two of uh, uh, the fan, which is uh, Aaron Walls' podcast, is so good and about Spurs. Yeah, it's
1: great, really, really great. Cool. So, I'm um, just the last thing to say really is, if you want to read more of Bardi and Nathan's content online, it's Bardi TFC and Nathan A Clark, and I'm I'm Windy Coys.
2: Yeah, I don't think my content will be as tactical as Nathan, <laughs> a bit more emotional. But I'm I do promise I will start blogging more this year,
1: and we'll be back next year with a new podcast feed um, we're, we're, we're branching out and we're already kind of branching out on Twitter as well we're at The Extra Inch on Twitter now if you want to follow um, the, we'll tell you more about the podcast feed when it's live but it's just you know, to, a way to separate the two things big shout out to Cave thank you so much for having us once again at your beautiful studio SNK it's very much appreciated and happy Christmas to one and all Merry Christmas Merry Christmas
0: It's the fighting It's the fighting Clock. It's the fighting It's the fighting
2: Clock. Oh that was really interesting mate
0: yeah I'm Robbie the site manager Everyone here knows me but when they ask me, how was your weekend, they're surprised when I say, I'm getting paid! Loading a helicopter on board a transport plane as an RAF reserve. I'm in charge of making sure it's loaded correctly. If it isn't, the plane can't fly. Knowing the pilot needs my OK before takeoff that's a special feeling. Make your spare time count with over 40 rolls. Commit only 27 days a year. Search RAF Reserves.